Continuing in our study of Hebrews, we're reading tonight from Hebrews 8, starting at verse 1, right through to verse 13. The point of what we're saying is this. We least, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Maddy in heaven, and who served the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have some offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a pre-man who offer the gift by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about tabernacle. See to it that you make everything to the pattern shown you in the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior founded on better promises. If there had been nothing wrong, and no place would have been sought for another. But God fought with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead Egypt in my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. A neighbor or a man his brother say, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. As obsolete and aging soon disappear. Those of you who are iPhone fans maybe a bit of controversy surrounding the launch of the latest Apple iOS 11. It's been heralded by Apple as the introduction of the iPhone, but people are complaining that they've just copied features of Android Windows phone. Those of us who just want a phone to make phone calls with may wonder what the fuss is all about. But the fundamental at stake is that because a copy is an, of an original, that makes it more of you, I suspect, may be in the, the advert for the Golf GTI, which has a whole host of people badly singing Frank Sartre's My Way, until you get genuine articles from Frank Ken, and there's the Golf GTI driving around the roofs of buildings in Las Vegas. The tagline, often copied, never equaled. Generally speaking, rules are far more important, better than copies. So when someone on the the Wednesday morning art group is showing someone their latest painting and the visitor spill a cup of coffee on it, you'll never hear them say, it doesn't matter, it's only the original. <laughs> if you've got the the copy is disposable. If the original is lost, it could always be second best. So whether it's your own work or somebody else's, copy, it's inferior quality and value. The Greek philosopher Plato argued that everything existing in our perfect copy of an ideal form, which is the perfect object to us and unchanged, existing in a higher reality that we can't perceive with our senses. So, for example, you get loads of different kinds of beds, double beds, single beds, four-poster beds, but they are all imperfect copies of the one perfect of a bed that exists, not here, but in the realm of ideas. But Plato really wasn't keen on the idea of painting beds because a painting would merely be and even flawed. 
But every object in this world is just a copy of the abstract, original form of idea of the object that can be perceived with the senses. That when we live as if we were people who had spent the whole of our lives chained and immobilised at the front of a cave with our backs to the entrance to the cave, so the light is behind us, and all we've ever been able to see are those that we cast on the back of the cave. And all we've been able to hear those of sounds coming from behind us and out get us from the rear of the cave back towards our ears. And he said, if that had been your experience for your entire life, if you'd seen nothing but the shadows in front of you on the cave, you'd heard nothing back to you from the wall of the cave, that'd be your perception of what reality was. And he said, that's exactly how we are this life. All we see are shadows of the ultimate reality that is inaccessible to us. All we hear are echoes of the reality that is inaccessible to us. And if you know that, he says, well, that's exactly what it's like. Reality is hell. We are here in the Shadowlands, which is why the film about C.S. Lewis has that title. What has all this got to do with Hebrews? Well, when God gave Moses the plans to build the tabernacle in the wilderness, the sanctuary which would house the ark of the of God among his people, the tent where all the sacrifices had to be offered, he said to him, make sure, make everything in accordance with the pattern that I showed you on the mountain. Because what Moses was to make was to be a copy of an original. Not the same as Plato, because Plato would have said, well, there, there's a divine idea of a tabernacle that Moses was to be. For Hebrews, what Moses saw was not an idea of a tabernacle, but real sanctuary of God in heaven. If you want to get technical, Plato was about uh, the philosophy of, of ideas or forms, Jewish apocalyptic, where the reality is in heaven, and what we have down here are images or foretaste of what is to come. The tabernacle in the wilderness derived a divine original of a heavenly reality. And the point Hebrews tries to make at this point is that all those laws you find about sacrifice in Leviticus and all those laws about how the tabernacle should be designed, all of that is just a foreshadowing of what really happens the actual where God really lives. And, and this is the Tour de Forces argument, it is Jesus who as our high priest enters the real sanctuary, bring the perfect sacrifice once for all, to make atonement for our sin and to reconcile. All the other stuff that happens in the Old Testament and Leviticus, all the sacrifices and the priests and, uh, and the setting of the tabernacle, all the stuff that meant so much to the, to the Jewish readers of Hebrews, the point is, all of that is just a shadow, a copy, a foreshadowing of the perfect. And the point he's trying to make is that if... If people take seriously their devotion to God's laws, they should embrace the reality to which those laws pointed. The laws say exactly how everything should work, but the reality that achieves every those laws foreshadowed is what Jesus did, the presence of God to offer his life as the perfect sacrifice, reconciling us to God once and for all. As a boy on Christmas, Eve, Dad once gave me a 
for a game that would be his present to me. I remember being quite disorientated because I didn't know anything about the game at all. And for a while I wasn't sure whether there was actually anything to go with the rules. I just said, here you are, you want to read through these. Uh, and I read them through and it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. Without the game to which they apply, useless. And I know he meant well, but it really wasn't a very helpful to do from my point of view. Hebrews says, well, that's what the, the book of law and the Old Testament are like. They point to the reality of Christ. They foreshadow what Christ would actually do, achieve, and make perfect. And to have the rule, the reality, is to miss point. Those old books of the Bible are actually all about Christ, is the point makes. They help us understand who he is and has done, but without Christ, this is the controversy, without Christ, they are of no value. They are designed to point the way to the reality that is Christ, but without them, and without embracing Christ, completely miss the point. The whole Testament cult is a foreshadowing of the reality of what Christ has done for us as our high now Christ has entered the heavenly sanctuary on our behalf and atoned for our sin. We don't actually need to follow all those rules and regulations about sacrifice anymore. The whole system got rendered obsolete and is no longer operational. So the good news for us as Christians is we don't need to get bogged down too much in the minutiae of those sacrificial regulations, which is a relief for most of us. I rather like the terms and conditions you are supposed to read whenever you order something online. And most of us, I know, just tick them saying, yes, I've read the terms and conditions. And we might force ourselves to glance, sure we haven't been through them with a tooth comb. And so long as the order turns up and works perfectly well, you don't have to bother with the terms and conditions. Well, in Christ, the order has turned up. And it works perfectly well. God has delivered what he promised in Jesus. Don't stress over the small print. It's there to help you understand what has delivered the salvation. But the salvation has in Jesus. And what you have there is foreshadowing a copy of what God has really done. And Hebrews would actually so far as to say that perhaps because the Old Testament sacrifices were just earthly prototypes of Christ's oneself, they didn't actually achieve anything. In terms of this perfect, that's the radical claim made by the letter Hebrews. What did the first covenant achieve? Well, look at the results. Look at the people with whom the first covenant. They were the generation who came out of Egypt. What happened to them? Did they to God? No. Did, did they make it to the promised land? No. The whole of the Old Testament is the story of huge failure to keep the covenant God made with generation. But for Hebrews, that's not a problem, because the point of the first covenant was just to point the way to Christ and the better way that God would initiate by his Son. The first perfection or salvation, it only gave a picture of how salvation would eventually be achieved by Christ. And then the ultimate high priest, who has entered the real dwelling place of God in heaven on our behalf, who has mediated a new one which is immensely superior to them because it's founded on better promises and actually delivers God's promised salvation. It's the new covenant promised by the, the Jeremiah, where God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house. It won't be like the old one because broke that one. This is the covenant that I will make with them 
forces in it. I will write my laws in their minds and in their hearts, God says. In the covenant, God's laws were written in stone and, and people remained detached from them. They were external to the they were stand they were expected to keep and their hearts actually were as hard as the stone on which the commandments were written. So God says, I will write my laws directly onto people's hearts and people's minds. Taking out us a heart of stone, giving us a heart of flesh, giving us the mind to accept God's laws and the will to and that is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. He writes laws, covenant, onto our hearts. Not on tablet stone, but on the fleshly tables of the human heart, Paul says. Changing us from the inside out. So that we have both the desire and the ability to keep God's laws from the core of our hearts. Ultimate laws can be compared to the three wise monks. See no evil, so evil. Here, it's a series of prohibitions. But what the Holy Spirit does is give the ability to do what God wants. So it's not a matter of the other because we naturally will do what is wrong. The Holy Spirit works within us so that we begin naturally by God's empowering to do what is right. It's an enabler, not a That's why Christianity is not about a series of things that you're not allowed to do. It's about God enabling you to live for him from the end. Then the Lord says... He will be God, and we shall be his people. That's number two. He will not turn back on us. He will not reject us. He will keep us no matter what. You belong to God, and God belongs to you. Full stop. He makes between us and God, binds us together in an unbreakable bond of eternity. And Jesus kind of talked about the new covenant when he, when he celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples. The word we have every time we celebrate communion. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This as often as you drink to remember me. Was that, that as when we drink up, we affirm our place within covenant. Covenants were, were made by the, by, the, by the shedding of blood. The blood of the covenant is when blood is spilt and, and the blood binds together the two parties of the covenant. Well, we are bound to God by the blood of his son. Covenant uh, was cast upon the earth and flicked people and they were bound together by that first covenant. In, in the new covenant, the blood of Christ was shed on the cross once and for all. But when we drink the cup that symbolizes his blood, we affirm our place in God's covenant. We affirm that we are God's people. God is our. Say, Lord Jesus, what you did on the cross, let that apply. I want to belong to God for the covenant that you've made. Then the, the third clause is that they all know me, God says, the least of them to the greatest. Doesn't matter how young you are, how well educated you are, how, how you know, what great social standing you have, or where you've been, what you've done, everybody. Knowledge of God is not for the elite. It's not for the good or the well-educated or the intelligent, the able. All, everybody, without exception, will know from the least, says God. And in the purpose, I am a minister and really quite dispensed. Because you don't need someone to teach you how to know God. Because the point is that God makes himself known to each and every one of us personally. Christ dwells in hearts. His spirit leads us into all truth. 
I, as a priest, a mediator between you and... Because there is no such thing. The only mediator between us and God is Christ. And through Christ, God himself dwells in each of our hearts. So my role is perhaps to point you in the right direction. But fundamentally, is about God made himself known through Jesus. It's not about me. And then fourthly, there is the promise he will forgive our wickedness and put our sin out of his mind. The file containing the records of our sins have been deleted and the discs have been wiped. No lurking records anywhere that will be produced evidence against God has cleared it away, deleted the record. There are no painful recollections of past years to put a strain on our relationship with God. Do begin again. The old was conditioned. God chose the people and said, I've brought you out of Egypt. I will be your God. You will be my people. This is how I expect you to live. These are the laws I want you to keep. And they said, yes, we will do it. And they said, yes, we will do it. But they failed to do as they had said. The new covenant is unconditional. Our ability to keep to our end of the arrangement. It is for people who fail, who struggle, who are half-hearted, who don't deserve God's faithfulness. God himself guarantees his promise and gives his grace to us even when we fail. In Jesus, God himself has inaugurated, filled and guaranteed the terms of the covenant. There's nothing for us to do but to believe and to accept and to give our lives to him. God bound him to you by nothing less than the blood his son. Your salvation is 100% guaranteed. And all that because Jesus has become our perfect heist, entering the real sanctuary on our behalf to bring about a new covenant between us and God that can never be broken. That's why we worship him. That's why we depend upon him. Because he is 100% faithful to him. And when we give our lives to him, he never lets us go. Let's pray. Lord, you know that we waver. You are left to our own devices. We just wander so far from you. Thank you that you weren't prepared to let that happen. That it's while we were so far away from you in our hearts that you sent your Son to seek us out. Thank you, Lord, for making your people. Thank you for graciously and generously and faithfully forgiving us. Thank you for making yourself known to us, whoever. Thank you for writing your laws in our minds, in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for being a faithful, generous, gracious high priest to whom we can come, one who always welcomes, us, always restores who never gives up on us. Lord, by your grace, may we never upon you. In Jesus' name. Amen.